Now, yesterday, Global BC Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry and I discussed the fact drought and extreme temperatures reduced electricity production in BC last July to its lowest point of any July in at least 15 years. That's according to data from Stats Canada. BC generated 31% less electricity this last July than July of 2022. Uh, Along with Quebec, it was the main driver of a national year-over-year decline, which saw electricity production fall to its lowest level since at least 2016. The impact of climate change on electricity production is now a real issue. Now, this latest news comes as BC Hydro announced in June the province is going to need enough new power to run 270,000 homes starting as early as 2028. Now, the forecast from BC Hydro comes as the company plans its first call in 15 years for that large source of electricity. Joining me now to discuss uh, BC Hydro's call for new energy and looking at uh, energy sources, different types of energy sources here in BC is Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry. Keith, welcome. Good to be here, Jazz. I'm glad you're doing this series because this population surge uh, reaches into so many aspects of society. You're going to have a field day, I think, all sorts of topics. But energy is a, is a huge one. Yeah, There's absolutely it, no question. Yeah, I wanted to continue our conversation from yesterday. First and foremost, uh, let's just touch on the, the, that news that we saw. Um, I think the Vancouver Sun was covering it. The fact that BC generated 31% less electricity uh, this last July compared to July of 2022. What is that telling us? Well, a couple of things. Um, you go back to what creates electricity for BC Hydro. We need it's all depends on water levels and and the dams. And when you've got low precipitation and low snow, snowpack levels, uh, those combine to basically lower the water levels, and that means there's less electro- electricity to be to be produced. Then you throw in the fact that there's increased demand. And it's, I won't want to use the cliche perfect storm, but it's all coming together at the wrong time where you've got a huge surge in population. So the number of people needing energy is going to be at an all-time high and growing very quickly. Climate change seems to be reducing our ability to produce energy along the traditional lines in BC, which is hydroelectric power. That's 98% of hydro's electricity is hydroelectric. Um, And so a surge in demand and a decrease in production means hydro has to look far and wide for new sources of electricity. And again, these have to be uh, BC government mandated all new energy has to be clean. It can't be fossil fuel, can't be oil and gas. It has to be either hydroelectric or renewables such as solar or wind. Um, Runner River is another form of hydro or geothermal, but in terms of cost competitiveness, it seems that wind is the one that seems to be the one that may be the one that hydro goes when they, they make their call next uh, next spring. And that power doesn't come online until 2028. Mm-hmm. And these targets the government set for is just two years after that, 2030. So time is of the essence. And I don't think a lot of people have got their heads around what a pressing issue this is, this real desperate need to create more electricity to meet energy demands at a time when producing electricity has never been more difficult. Why were we off? I mean, I, there's an urgency there, I would agree. But, you know, this is a conversation perhaps, uh, you know, we should have, should have been having in 2015 or 2010. Why now? Like, what, is it just we've had, because of immigration levels that we've all of a sudden say, oh, we're gonna call now 270,000 new homes. We want to start as early as 2028 and be ready to go by 2030, as you said. Why the urgency now? Did we just not gauge the growth? 
Well, I don't. Yeah, I think a lot of people mis misgauge the growth. I don't think a lot of people saw coming a few years ago that our population would increase by almost ten percent, half a you know billion people, half a million people in um, five hundred million people in the space of a, sh- a short period of time, and that number will continue to grow with record immigration levels. You know, one hundred fifty thousand people a year coming into BC. That number will slow a bit, according to the government's later uh, latest quarterly financial reports, about a hundred thousand people, but that's a net increase, and they're all going into, you know, I've talked about this before, there's three areas of BC where people are moving. Um, Metro Vancouver, by far, is the main uh, destination point for new immigrants. The capital region over here in Victoria is the second. Kelowna and the Okanagan is third. It's not as if people are moving en masse into Kamloops or Fort St. John or Cranbrook. They're all moving into these three areas. And then you extrapolate the pressures that puts on those three areas. It's not just housing. It's not just infrastructure, but it's also energy uh, demand. And um, that's where, again, I don't think a lot of people foresaw this coming to the degree we're seeing it now. But you can always agree there should have been better planning years ago. But I'll tell you, the government's targets are set at 2030. And that's only seven years away. And you've got this power call going out next year that hopefully comes back with clean power, probably most of it solar wind power. Um, but then we get into a situation we never really had in BC, which Alberta is going through, where part of the reason they hit the pause button mm-hmm. on renewable projects such as solar and wind is literally communities did not like these big projects that are quite, you know, they're eyesores. Anybody who's been around a wind project knows that's just not a quiet little project. It's a big thing. And they don't like them in their communities. So there's a bit of a pushback there. We haven't ever experienced that in BC. We don't have a lot of wind farms, and we're, we're really in infancy. So we'll see if there's pushback on some of these renewable energy projects. I mean, there was pushback on Site C Dam, obviously, but that's that sailed through. There was pushback on other dams and some smaller run-of-the-river projects. But if we're talking some big wind projects, which likes which we haven't seen before, it'll be interesting to see where the public's at. We are speaking to Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. We're talking about a call for more power by BC Hydro, which came out in June. Uh, so the province uh, can generate enough energy to run 270,000 homes as early as 2028. This all comes as a new report out from, a new data actually from Stats Canada, which says that BC generated 31% less electricity this last July than July of 2022. Along with Quebec, uh, it was the main driver of a national year-over-year decline which saw electricity production fall to its lowest level since at least 2016. So lots to talk about in regards to energy and our energy future here in British Columbia. What do you think uh, should be our energy future in regards to, is should it still be hydroelectric power? It serves us well, it's serving us well, uh, but we have had another million people moving here in Metro Vancouver alone uh, by 2050. Uh, let's go to the open line. Let's go to Steve in Delta. Hi, Steve. Hey, guys. I hate always pounding on the government, but it's typically asinine government directives. You know, they don't want us to have gas stoves or gas furnaces. They all want electric. So how does that work? Take away 50% and you got to get 50% more uh, hydroelectricity. How does that work? I mean, gas is pretty clean compared to we used to have oil or coal or wood, but we still export. I live by Roberts Bank. There's 80 billion tons of coal that we're shipping out. So the government is asking us to suffer and pay more, and then we don't have a solution because we don't have enough electricity, but we can't use gas, so we need more electricity. So do you, do you get the gist here? There's a lot of philosophical things going on that make no bloody sense. And quite frankly, 
you know, I know I want my kids to live in a clean world, but, you know, making everybody in B.C. suffer yeah. because, you know, third world countries burn wood still, we we, we got to do it slowly. We can't just say, okay, all gas has to go in three years. Well, electricity is going down by 30%. Yeah, Steve, well, thank we you. We need 100% more. I got yeah. We got your point. Wow. I mean, this is a good point. I mean, it took, it took I think, oil 75 years to surpass coal as the major energy source in this world. Yeah, it's usually 100-year cycles, yeah. so these change of energy. It doesn't happen overnight. And I've long been skeptical of governments going to these international con- conferences and setting these targets for, for uh, emission targets and such. And it's all noble to get there. But then as we increasingly miss these targets or we get closer and closer to the year these targets are supposed to be reached and there's no evidence we're reaching those targets, I think governments have less political capital to push these targets on its citizenry without showing that something's happening as a result of the citizenry tightening their belts or paying more for this or not being able to buy this in order to achieve these targets, which prove to be either unattainable or certainly not attainable on the time frame the governments have been pushing. And you see now, start to see politicians. I had a piece a couple of weeks ago questioning, are politicians losing their nerve when it comes to fighting climate change? And so you've got the United Kingdom prime minister basically abandoning some very aggressive targets there of uh, meeting uh, emission targets and curtailing uh, because the polls show that the electorate is not there with him and he faces an election sooner than later. So you've got the Conservative Party in in the United Kingdom sort of walking away from these lofty uh, emission targets. You've got Pierre Polyev, you've seen his ads on on TV, walking away from the carbon tax, which is just almost in its infancy nationally. We've had a carbon tax in B.C. since 2006, so we're used to it. And our carbon tax is far greater than other provinces pay. You could argue we're sort of getting used to it, but I think it's just a matter of time in B.C., whether one or more of the parties say, you know what, we're not going to abandon the carbon tax, but maybe we're not going to keep increasing it. Well, I, I, I think you're right. It used to be revenue neutral, and now it's not. It's not, and it's going to be going up aggressively until 2030, and I think the rubber hits the road pretty quick. You're hearing so much of it on this show and many other of our programs here. And as it goes up aggressively every single year, and more and more people educate themselves around it, I just think, I just, I don't see them if going... It was, if it was tied to evidence that it was actually bringing down emissions, yeah. then I think people might be a little more in line with it. But after 15 years or so, if there's no evidence it's doing what it's supposed to do at a time when it's taking more money out of your pocket, I think it's less supportable for a government to keep pushing it. That's why I think you're going to see governments walk away from stuff like this. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go to Dennis and Surrey. Hi, Dennis. Uh, hi, how are you guys today? We're good. What's on uh, your mind? What they, what the, the government, what they should be doing is when they do seismic upgrades to schools, hospitals and that, it should all include solar. And some of the new projects that they're building, maybe it it won't make it like the real inexpensive places to rent or that, but it should include a a solar in all new buildings. Dennis, thanks for your call. I mean, that's not a bad idea, right, Keith? I mean, at the end of the day, we should be, if you're going to push that, we should be looking at solar in some cases, especially with the amount of building that we're doing when it comes to hospitals and schools. Well, you want solar where the sun shines, and not everywhere in BC has the same amount of sunlight or or sunshine that comes through. So that's one of the knocks against renewable power, which is less and less of a knock. You know, the wind doesn't, if the wind's not blowing, you're not getting energy. The sun's not shining, you're not getting energy. That's less and less true as technology improves, and you can store some of this. But, you know, not a bad idea on paper to require solar panels and new construction. And maybe we'll get there. 
And I think we are inching towards things like that because certainly the old way of just saying we're going to heat homes and schools and buildings with fossil fuels is kind of a dead in the, dead in the water. But the challenge on the other side is what do you replace it with and how quickly can you replace it? And that's the whole argument right now in the debate. Can we actually meet these targets in a timely fashion? And at a time when climate change is really pushing on one side, yeah. can you push on the other side to meet those challenges presented by you know a very radically shifting climate? Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Keith, thank you. All right, anytime.